So Matthew 12, verse 15 through to verse 32. Here, once again, God's holy word. Jesus, aware of this, that is, the Pharisees conspiring against him, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's balance more in prayer. Father, we come before your word. Indeed, considering uh, weighty things as we find always in your word. But help us to, to understand, to be with your servant as he proclaims it. Open our hearts and minds unto uh, this word and speak through your spirit. Amen. Beloved people of God. There are a few things that give Christians more pause, perhaps worry, than the question of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We rejoice in God's abundant forgiveness, don't we? The God who delights to show mercy. But then we hear that there is a a sin for which there is no forgiveness, either in this age or in the age to come. That, That will get our attention as those who rejoice in God's grace and know that because He forgives us of all of our sins, that is our only hope. People sometimes wonder or often wonder when thinking about this particular sin that Jesus describes, if it's something you might accidentally or unknowingly commit, or whether someone might commit this sin early in life and therefore would make repentance, trusting in Christ, of no consequence later on. So we must pay attention to all that the Lord says here. In this passage, if we pay attention to the context, much of the the confusion is gone. It is solved. 
Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, as we see, is clearly tied to those who are confronted with undeniable evidence that the power of God was working in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We considered that together uh, on a recent Sunday evening sermon. Think about the ministry of Jesus. All that he does through his human nature is done by the Spirit. And we've seen that a couple of times already in our service. My spirit will be upon him as the Messiah. Thus, Jesus is working by uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. God is with him. God's blessing and approval is, is upon him. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So this sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, comes down to a willful and persistent refusal to give glory and honor where they are due, namely to the triune God who saves and redeems. It's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because to attribute Jesus' work to Satan is to speak against all of the persons of our triune God. We pay attention also to the wider context, and we see that, again, we are called to accept and receive and rejoice in the salvation of God in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So will we receive him as he is, as he is presented to us as the Savior in this passage, as he often is presented to us as a humble servant and as a conquering king? So will we rejoice, brothers and sisters, in his humble compassion? Will we also learn from his humility? Will we see and accept him as the king who does not conquer earthly kings, but who has bound Satan? and who has taken away the grip he once had on all the nations. In short, this morning, in short, will you rejoice in his salvation, and will you give him all of the glory for it? And will you let your mouth be filled with the praise of the Lord, so that you give glory and honor where they are due. Let us consider these things together, beloved people of God. First, Jesus presented to us as the humble servant. He is the humble servant. He withdraws from the crowds, withdraws from the crowds, and his, he has a, a voice that will, be not, will not be heard aloud in the streets. He will not cry aloud, as that uh, quotation from Isaiah 42 says. And yet, at the very same time as the humble servant, he is exercising compassion, he is working for others. And so we see, as he is presented to us as a king, as the son of David, that his compassion and his humility tells us something about the kind of king that he is. In that time, in the world, and indeed in our own time, those who hold royal power often struggle with acting the exact opposite not acting and living for others, but in acting for themselves. They still have a few figures in this world who uh, sit atop the government of a nation, and they act in this kind of a way. Much of the world has moved to a more democratic style of government, but we still certainly have this. Look at a country like North Korea, a man who is obsessed with his own reign and rule, and the entire country sort of lives to, to serve him to increase his wealth and his riches and his power. How does Jesus act exactly opposite, doesn't he? He is filled with compassion. He heals all as it says. 
He will not cry aloud, as Isaiah 42 says. In other words, he will not stir up political or military strife. We need to understand the kind of victory he has come to win. The justice he will perfect will be of a higher order. The Spirit is upon him, as Isaiah 42 says. That's a a divine stamp of approval. And what we need to know from that, from this later interaction in, in the passage, is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit being with Jesus and allowing him to to finish his ministry. Again, all that Jesus does in and through his human nature, he does trusting his Father and in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. All that Jesus does uh, on earth is done in those ways through his human nature. But this means that God is with him. He is God's man, which is the exact thing that the Pharisees are going to, to, to question, to doubt, to speak against, to declare otherwise. They say that this is not... God's man. Of course, Jesus, as the one sent of God, has come to do battle against evil. This is the the, the great cosmic battle of the ages. Jesus coming to bring this this new era of the kingdom of God, as we see in our passage, to, to bind Satan, to plunder his house, and he has come to to win victory over him. We see this healing, don't we? A blind man a man who is both blind and mute, who is healed by Jesus. All throughout the Gospels, we often see that both demonic possession and also just Satan's influence are connected to disease and affliction. Why is that? Well, because Satan is doing all that he can to ravage God's creation, to undo what our God has done, to create as much destruction and chaos as is possible for him to do. And so that which destroys life, that which takes life away, can be attributed to him. It's part of what happens in our sin-cursed world. And Jesus has come to do battle against all of those things. why we see uh, him perform all of these healings. It also is a testament to who he is. It also is a testament to his ministry. It also points beyond all of his healings, point beyond themselves to the true and ultimate healing and restoration that happens first spiritually for those who give themselves to him. And and as we then await the consummation of the ages, well, there will be no more sickness, no more affliction, no more blindness, and all of these things. But Jesus shows that he is doing battle against the forces of evil. And of course, then that tells us why the way Jesus reasons as he does is he uh, heals this man of his blindness and allows him to speak. And then the Pharisees accuse him of doing these things by the power of Beelzebul, the power of Satan. But before we consider that, just think with me just for a few moments about what it says there in Isaiah 42. Because as those suffering under the effects of the curse and the fall, as those suffering under the dominion of Satan in a sin-cursed world, Jesus comes for uh, smoldering wicks and bruised reeds. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What a wonderful summary, encapsulation of, of what Jesus does. He comes for bruised reeds. He comes for smoldering wicks. He comes for those who are feeling the effects of the curse of the fall. He came for the sick. 
He came for the downtrodden. He came for those who seemed to have no hope. And then this becomes our hope, as it says in Isaiah 42, in him shall the Gentiles hope, because when we understand that Jesus has come to make things right, that Jesus has come to make us right with God and to bring us into his eternal kingdom, that all things may one day be right again fully, it changes our entire outlook. It changes the comfort that we have in this world and how desperately we as God's people need to show this to the world around us. As you see, again, this, this, recent, uh, this recent run of, of shootings and things like this and, and how often mental health is brought into the conversation. Well, why is that? It's because when people do not know Jesus Christ through the gospel, they do not have the sound mind that he gives to us. Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, renews our minds, and he changes the things that we see and how we understand them. He gives us soundness of mind. He gives us certainty of hope. He gives us comfort and peace and joy in the midst of all situations, the very thing that this world seems to lack so much, even with our abundance of possessions, even with our abundance of resources, even with our abundance of access to so many things. He comes for bruised reeds and and smoldering wicks. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that is how we could have been described before we knew Jesus Christ? Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a bruised reed, smoldering wick suffering under the effects of the fall. Maybe you do know Christ, but you're having trouble grasping on to seeing his glory and rejoicing in it. He came for you. He came to restore you and to give you life and soundness of mind and and certainty of hope. And because of that, we must allow that to shape the way that we see our own lives, our place in this world, the way that we serve others. Richard Sibbs, of course, wrote that wonderful Puritan classic, certainly considered by most to be one of the greatest Puritan works of all, called The Bruised Reed, and he said this, Christ came down from heaven and emptied himself of majesty in tender love to souls. Shall we not come down from our high conceits to do any poor soul good? Shall man be proud after God has been humble? Allow the humility of Christ to be set before you today and to rejoice in it. But he's also a conquering king. He's a conquering king in addition to being a humble servant. He heals this man and the people wonder, can this be the son of David? Which tells us that they're thinking along kingly lines. The son of David, we are considering the notion of kingship. The son of David will be the one who comes to fulfill that promise, that covenant that was made to David. The Pharisees accused Jesus, say, no, he's, he's not the son of David. He's, he's not even uh, working with the power of God. He, he is doing all of these things by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons. What we see is that Jesus, as he responds to that accusation, shows that the very accusation of the Pharisees uh, tells us that they understand that he is working by God's power. They know it. They perceive it. And yet they willfully refuse it. They willfully turn away and they attribute the power of Christ, the power of God, to something else. That's what we're dealing with, with blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You see how clearly it's tied to unbelief, persistent, willful unbelief 
when being faced with undeniable evidence of the power of God and the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus exposes the absurdity of their accusation. It is absurd that if Jesus has received his power from Satan, that he would go around defeating the dominion of Satan. Would Satan cast out Satan? It would be almost like uh, the, the consulting business is very big today. So a big company hires a consultant to tell, uh, say, come into our company, tell us what departments work well, what departments don't work well. The consultant comes back with his report, and they find all these departments that are working efficiently and working well, and so they respond by firing everyone in those departments, getting rid of what has worked well. You see, it, it, it makes no sense. And this is the very thing that Satan most wants, human hearts. Why would he give up the dominion that he most treasures? Why would one of his associates relinquish his own territory? You see, human hearts is what he is after. This then, as Jesus says, well, if someone can cast out demons by the power of the prince of demons, then by whom do your own, who say they cast out demons, by whom do they operate? See, it opens up the Pharisees to the very same thing. A kingdom that is worth anything and that is going to sustain itself cannot work against itself. And will Satan work towards the destruction of his own kingdom? Jesus is saying, no, of course not. The great empire of Rome, so powerful during the life of Jesus, would eventually fall. And great would be the fall of that empire, perhaps more quickly uh, than many historians said should, could have been expected. The problem was that the Roman Empire crumbled from within as much as from without. The empire uh, would overspend and overtax for many years. Now, don't think too carefully about some of this. You'll get too worried. The Roman Empire fell because it, it overspent and then it overtaxed uh, its own people. And many of the wealthy class then started moving around so that they could avoid uh, taxes and the tax burden, it became a kingdom divided against itself. It, it, it could not sustain itself. It opened itself up to attack and to defeat. Jesus is saying, this is not how the prince of demons would operate. He's much more cunning. So there's only one possibility, Jesus is saying. There is only one power which is able to overcome the dominion of Satan in this world, and that is the power of God. Again, it's this cosmic clash of good and evil. Only two possibilities as the Pharisees set out uh, to accuse Jesus. Either he is working by the power of God, or we can sort of throw this accusation at him, and Jesus says, no, no, no. That accusation is absurd. Of course, it is by the power of God that I am casting out demons. You are filled with persistent and willful unbelief when you are uh, confronted with explicit evidence of my lordship. So the kingdom has come, is what Jesus says. If by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, again, he attributes the, 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 the spirit or the power of the spirit to his miracles, then the kingdom has come. Through Christ, Satan's power has been bound. And that is what he did in his life and his ministry. He gives us an illustration that shows us what he's doing. He is plundering the house of Satan. He, is, he has bound him in his own house and is now walking through, in these gospels, walking through the house of Satan, plundering his goods, claiming back those who dwelt under the power and dominion 
of Satan. He has come to plunder his house. One theologian puts it this way, In Christ, the all-embracing power of the city of the devil has been shattered, and the city of God has broken in. Perhaps you look around at the world and you say, boy, it doesn't always seem, it doesn't seem like we could describe that Satan is bound. But this is what Jesus is pointing us to is the spread of his kingdom that grows in ways that we often don't expect, that grows in ways that we often can't decipher or see. But his kingdom has been marching through this world. And he loosened the grip of Satan, particularly on the way that he was able to keep all of the nations of the world in the dark. Here we are in South Holland, Illinois, today, praising and exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Explicit evidence that Satan has been bound, that he cannot prevent the gospel from going forth. Now, truly, he still does have a strength And he is working, he is at work, trying to ravage God's creation, trying to claim many for himself. But in these ways, he has been bound. If you know Jesus Christ, you have experienced this, that he has been bound. And if he has been bound, brothers and sisters, do we live in ways that show he has been bound? Do we live in ways that show that his power has already, in certain senses, in in many ways, been overcome by Jesus Christ, that victory has been won at the cross? Do we live as though we know that we have been crucified with Christ and that we live in the power of his resurrection? Just as Ehud slew Eglon, just as David felled Goliath, so Christ has crushed sin and death. Do you live that way? As though his power has been overcome? As though he has been defeated? Listen to the way that 1 John describes some of these things. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. First John chapter 2, young men, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do you live that way? So often people say, well, it just doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like Sin has been defeated. It doesn't seem like I have all of the resources, all that I need to live in ways which glorify God, to live in ways which honor Him, to live in ways which overcome temptation. Brothers and sisters, it's your word against God's, isn't it? He tells you He's given us all that He needs, all that we need for life and for godliness. He's telling us that every time we are tempted, He has given us what we need to not fall into that sin. So do you live as though the kingdom has come? And do you rejoice and hope knowing that the kingdom will be consummated? Well, who is it? Who is it that shares in that eternal kingdom? It's those who have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, those who have trusted in him, those who have repented of their sins. Later on in chapter 12, Jesus says that 
the men of the, the, the people of Nineveh will judge this generation because they repented at the preaching of Noah and someone greater than Noah is here. In other words, if you hear the proclamation of Christ, you ought to repent of your sins. You must do so, for his word is more powerful even than the preaching of Jonah. The queen of the south will judge this generation because she came to Solomon and praised his wisdom and something greater than Solomon is here, Jesus says. Do you see Jesus as the pinnacle of wisdom? Do you give to him all that you are in repentance and reliance and faith, rejoicing in his salvation? We understand that there still is a danger. Satan is still at work. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. In other words, there is no neutrality with Jesus. You must come to him only in and through Jesus Christ are you safe from the hosts and the dominion of the devil. So do you find your refuge in him? He is a humble servant. He's a conquering king. And then finally, he is God's savior. Again, we dealt with this at the beginning, but just briefly, Jesus speaks of this sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We see what it is, don't we? The Pharisees are confronted with incontrovertible evidence that Jesus is God's man. Jesus is God's Savior, whom he has sent to this earth. They willfully, they persistently turn away from that truth, and they attribute the power of Jesus to Satan himself. This is for those who perceive where the truth lies, not for those who are struggling with doubts, not for those who over a a succession of many, many years finally come to the realization that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is those who perceive where the truth lies and yet willfully turn away from it. This is exactly what the Pharisees do. They're seeking to not only refuse Jesus, they're seeking to kill Jesus. That's how much their hearts are filled with unbelief and with hatred for Christ. If we are to keep ourselves from these things, we rejoice in the salvation of Christ. And we must give glory and honor where they are due. If you let your mouth be filled with the praise of the Lord, if you give glory and honor where they are due, if you live in reliance upon Jesus Christ, seeking to honor him and glorify him and give praise to our triune Lord for all that he has done, you need not worry about this sin. So give glory and honor where they are due. On Judgment Day, those who are vindicated, those who are commended by the Father, will be those who responded to His mighty works by bending the knee to the Son. It's just as Psalm uh, 66 says to us. Look at the mighty works of God. He spread out the sea and we passed through on dry land. Are you the kind of person who gives glory to God for what He has done? Are you filled with joy to sing to Him for what He has done for you in Jesus Christ? Is your mouth filled with the praise of the Lord? If you leave here with one phrase today, let it be that phrase. Let your mouth be filled with the praise of the Lord. Psalm 71.8, my mouth is filled with your praise, with your glory 
all the day. My tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Psalm 35, 28. Shout for joy to God. Give to him glorious praise. Is your mouth filled with the praise of the Lord? Do you give him the glory for what he has done in your life? Really, that's, that's one of the main things at work in this passage, isn't it? Giving glory and honor where they are due. For we live for the glory of God. Every inch of spiritual progress in your life is to be attributed to him. Anything that you have that is praiseworthy, anything uh, that you can point to and say, here's a virtue where I can see some kind of growth, Here, here's a way that I act now that I, I used to not act so easily, Every inch of spiritual progress is from him and thus is to be attributed to him. Do you have such a disposition in your heart that when these things come into your mind or when they are expressed by others that you automatically are eager to give glory and honor where they are due? Is your mouth filled with the praise of the Lord? Do you learn from the humility, the compassion of Jesus? The one who was himself filled with all glory, who had all heavenly glory and majesty, yet humbled himself. How can we not do the same? And how can we not be eager to give God all of the glory for what he has done in our lives? Oh, that we would have a thousand tongues to sing and to tell and to say all that he has done for us. May it be said of us by his grace that we are of his people, whose mouths are filled with his praise all the day long. Let's pray.